Do you know that certain peptides can benefit those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's? If you want to learn more about how peptides can help with thyroid autoimmunity and other chronic conditions, then you'll want to check out the brand new Peptide Summit hosted by Dr. Jenny Flagar. In fact, peptides play a huge role in helping Dr. Jenny overcome her Hashimoto's condition. To register for the free Peptide Summit, visit SayMyThyroid.com forward slash peptides. Hey, this is Dr. Eric. And in this episode, I am going to discuss four reasons why most people should avoid thyroid surgery. While there definitely is a time and place for thyroid surgery, in most cases, it should be a last resort. If you happen to have large thyroid nodules, make sure you check out the post-episode chat. And so let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to the Save My Thyroid podcast, hosted by Dr. Eric Osansky. To stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics, visit SaveMyThyroid.com. The following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. Now let's head to the show. Welcome back to the Save My Thyroid Podcast. This is Dr. Eric Osansky, and in this episode, I am going to discuss four reasons to avoid thyroid surgery. So before diving into the four reasons, I want to start out by telling you that there is a time and place for surgery. I'm definitely not against thyroid surgery, but everything, of course, comes down to risk versus benefits. So for example, if someone has thyroid cancer, it might require surgery. I would argue that most cases of thyroid cancer probably require surgery, although there are alternative options for that as well. I can't say I'm an expert when it comes to treating thyroid cancer naturally, but there are other practitioners who do this. So even in some cases of thyroid cancer, surgery might be able to be avoided. Also, if someone has a severe obstruction that is causing problems breathing or swallowing, if they have a, a large goiter, an enlargement of their thyroid gland, and that's causing some type of obstruction, then that could be an indication that surgery is necessary. Now, if someone has an extremely large goiter, but they're not experiencing obstruction, then it really depends on the situation. There are, I like to think that there is a cause for everything, even large goiters. So if some if someone has a severely large goiter, I'm not saying that it could always decrease back to its original size. In fact, if it's really large, many times it can't decrease to its original size, but it doesn't mean that it can't decrease. So really depends on the situation. So again, if there's obstruction, that's a different story. But if it's a large goiter without obstruction, then it's still up to the person. So I'm, I won't talk someone out of getting surgery, but the goal of this presentation, the goal of this episode is to give different options. And just if you do choose to get thyroid surgery, I want you to be comfortable with your decision. And another situation when someone might recommend surgery, a doctor may recommend surgery is if someone has large thyroid nodules. Now, of course, again, if there's suspicion that they're malignant, then that could be a, an indication for surgery. But sometimes even if they're benign, but let's say if they're over two centimeters, they will recommend to get them removed. And again, same thing with the goiter. Nodules can decrease in size. Sometimes it's challenging. It's not always easy. And the only way to really confirm a nodule decreasing or the main way is through a thyroid ultrasound, whereas with the goiter, you could, if it's a larger goiter, you could tell without doing an ultrasound. 
But once again, it's really up to the person as to whether or not they get surgery if they have large thyroid nodules. But just keep in mind that there is a cause of larger thyroid nodules. Some of the more common causes include problems with estrogen metabolism, insulin resistance is another common cause of nodules. And then how about hyperthyroidism that is difficult to manage through medication or herbs? So that's something I encounter sometimes. And it is a challenging situation when someone is unable to take antithyroid medication and then maybe they try something such as bugleweed and that's not effective. But there are other options and I discussed this in other episodes. So I would say that even in this situation, many times surgery isn't indicated. But once again, I can understand it being a scary situation and you don't want to have unmanaged hyperthyroidism. But like I said, there are other options other than the antithyroid medication and the herbs. So next, I want to just briefly discuss thyroid surgery when compared to radioactive iodine. I'm not going to get into detail because I talk a lot about radioactive iodine in episode number five, so I would definitely check that out. But if you're deciding between thyroid surgery and radioactive iodine, once again, just listen to this presentation, listen to episode number five, and maybe you'll decide to try to address the underlying cause of the problem if you haven't done so already. But if it comes down to where you need to get one or the other, again, ultimately it's your decision. If it were me, I probably would choose the surgery over radioactive iodine just because I just can't picture myself taking radioactive iodine. Even though it sounds easy, you just take a pill compared to surgery. There's definitely risk of surgery, which is what this episode is about. Again, it's not an easy decision. Hope I never have to make the decision. But what I would say is if it comes down to it, listen to this episode, which you're doing now, and check out episode number five. So the first reason why you want to probably avoid surgery in most cases is that it's not addressing the cause. And again, we're talking specifically about thyroid surgery, not all different types of surgery. If your appendix is bursting, you probably need to get surgery. But in the case of getting your thyroid removed, it's not addressing the cause of the problem. So in the case of Graves' disease, this is an autoimmune condition. So if someone has Graves' disease and they're told to get thyroid surgery or radioactive iodine, but of course, again, this is focusing on thyroid surgery. So it's not do, the surgery is not doing anything for the autoimmune component. And if someone has one autoimmune condition, they're at greater risk of developing other autoimmune conditions in the future. So that's a, a big reason to try to address the cause of the problem when it comes specifically to Graves' disease. So you want to find or remove the trigger, correct other underlying imbalances, heal the gut. Once again, I discussed this in other episodes, so I won't get into detail here. And then if someone has toxic multinodule goiter, this also has an underlying cause as well. So I mentioned when it comes to nodules and even what a lot of goiters, estrogen, problems with estrogen metabolism, estrogen dominance, estrogen causes growth of thyroid tissue and other, we, we know that there's estrogen dependent breast cancers. So again, when we look at a situation when someone has toxic multinodule goiter, we wanna see if they have problems with estrogen metabolism, if they have insulin resistance, there could be other causes. So if you get the thyroid surgically removed, you're not addressing the cause of the problem. Once again, I'm not saying that there's never a time and place when it comes to toxic multinodule goiter, but just something to think about. So the second reason why you might want to avoid thyroid surgery is because it's likely to lead to permanent hypothyroidism. 
especially if you have a complete thyroidectomy. A lot of surgeons won't want to do a partial thyroidectomy, but if you get a partial thyroidectomy done, then it might not result in permanent hypothyroidism. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But if you get the entire thyroid gland removed, then without question, it will result in hypothyroidism and you will need to take thyroid hormone replacement on a permanent basis. And to be fair, many people do fine when taking thyroid hormone. I also work with patients who have Hashimoto's and a good number of them take thyroid hormone and many of them do fine. Again, not everybody. And that's the concern is that some people don't do well, especially in a situation where they get their thyroid removed and all of a sudden they're put on thyroid hormones. Uh, many times it takes weeks, if not months, to adjust to it. And there are, there's a small percentage where they don't adjust. I don't want to give the impression that everybody or a ho- very high percentage won't do well on thyroid hormone, but there are some people who don't. And sometimes it could be the type of thyroid hormone most endocrinologists will recommend synthetic thyroid hormone, levothyroxine, and some people do better on desiccated thyroid, such as Armour, Nature Thyroid, WP Thyroid, NP Thyroid. So there's numerous reasons why someone won't do well on thyroid hormone. But I guess the point is, if you could avoid thyroid surgery, then you won't need to take thyroid hormone. So it's not the end of the world if someone needs to take it, but everybody's different. For some people, the transition goes smoothly. For others, not so smooth. A third reason why you want to be cautious about getting thyroid surgery is that it can lead to hypoparathyroidism. So most people have four small parathyroid glands that are in a close relationship with the thyroid gland, and surgery can result in their direct trauma, devascularization, or in some cases, accidental removal. And parathyroid hormone, this is crucial in maintaining calcium level homeostasis. And so as a result, damage to one or more of these glands can lead to transient, so either temporary or in some cases permanent hypocalcemia. And it, it's, it's not like 80% or 90% of people who get thyroid surgery get hypoparathyroidism, but it's a decent percentage. It's not as small of a percentage. It's not like it's one in 10,000 that have damage to the parathyroid gland. So again, just something else to consider when thinking about getting thyroid surgery. A fourth reason is recurrent nerve injury. So the recurrent laryngeal nerve is a branch of the vagus nerve, and this supplies most of the muscles of the larynx. And so identifying the recurrent laryngeal nerve during thyroid surgery is the key to avoiding injury but this can be challenging when someone has a large goiter, you know, if someone has a malignancy or if they're doing a second operation. So again, sometimes it's difficult to identify, especially if the surgeon is inexperienced. And that's something I'll talk about a little bit more shortly. And also another thing to consider when it comes to the recurrent laryngeal nerve is that there are many anatomic variations of its course and branching, and that also makes that identification more difficult. And then injuries can be subdivided into transient and permanent. Of course, transient means that it's temporary. And uh, symptomatic injuries lasting more than one year are considered permanent. So if someone has damage for six months or eight months or nine months, it's transient, but that's still a long time. As far as the percentage, so permanent injuries that are current laryngeal nerve have been documented in 0.5% to 5% of patients 
whereas transient injuries are observed between 1% and 30%. So that's obviously a pretty big range. But you know, when we think of permanence, even if we're thinking 0.5%, so that's one out of every 200 people who get thyroid surgery, then obviously 5% would be five out of every 100. So uh, just another reason to be cautious. And again, why you want to be very cautious, very careful when choosing your surgeon if you do end up getting thyroid surgery. And because more experienced institutions as well as surgeons report much less injuries of the recurrent nerve. Hey, this is Dr. Eric. And if you have hyperthyroidism and are looking to do everything you can to save your thyroid gland, in addition to listening to this podcast, there are a few different ways we can help you. First of all, I've written a book on hyperthyroidism called Natural Treatment Solutions for Hyperthyroidism and Graves Disease, which you can find on Amazon as well as other websites where books are sold. Second, you can also join my hyperthyroid healing community by visiting hyperthyroidgroup.com. And finally, if you want to get personal help from me, you could visit the website workwithdreric.com. Just to let you know, I only see a limited number of new patients each month, and I do require anyone interested to complete a brief online application before working with me. And now back to the show. And then there, there are other thyroid complications um, some of them minor, some of them major. So you could have scarring. There's what's called post-operative dysphagia, which is difficulty swallowing. Post-operative bleeding is another concern. Post-operative hematoma. So you might be wondering what other options do you have? Once again, reminder, risk versus benefits. So like I said, I'm not trying to talk people out of getting thyroid surgery, but I want to at least talk about some other options. Uh, especially when we're dealing with hyperthyroidism. It, you know, if someone has difficulty managing the hyperthyroid symptoms, I mentioned a scenario earlier where someone might be unable to take antithyroid medications such as methimazole or PTU, and uh, the, the herbs don't work. So let's say if methimazole causes a negative reaction. Now, there's a decent chance that another type of antithyroid medication, such as PTU, will also cause a negative reaction, but that's not always the case. So it might be worth switching to PTU. But then there's natural agents, such as bugaweed, L-carnitine, lithium. Again, there are some people that don't do well with either one. Like the, the, they don't, Well, they don't do well with antithyroid medication, and the natural agents don't work. But if you haven't tried the natural agents, then it might be worth trying. Because again, when I dealt with Graves' disease, I took bugleweed and that worked fine. Again, it doesn't work for everyone, but it's, I think it's worth a try when you're weighing the risk versus benefits. Now, potassium iodide, I'm bringing this up here not as a recommendation. Again, it's a tough situation if someone's facing surgery, but higher doses of iodine can definitely cause problems but also in some cases it could actually lower thyroid hormone levels. Some people actually use it as a way of managing their hyperthyroid symptoms, but then there are some people where they're exposed to iodine and it flares things up. So it's, it's something where if you're facing surgery and you're looking at options other than antithyroid medication and maybe you try the bugleweed, L-carnitine, lithium, things like that and it didn't work, then potassium iodide is something to consider, but I would definitely speak with a practitioner because it, it is unpredictable and it can make things worse. And then there's also low-dose naltrexone, LDN, which I do have a separate episode where I discuss LDN. And so LDN, this would be more specific for someone with an autoimmune condition such as Graves' disease, where it calms down the immune system 
and it's hit or miss. So when it works, it could work well. And if someone's, again, thinking about surgery, it's an option, I think, to consider. Once again, with Graves, not with toxic multinodule goiter or another non-autoimmune thyroid condition. But so low-dose naltrexone, I would definitely check out that episode. And then there's cholestyramine. So cholestyramine, I I don't have a separate episode yet dedicated to that, but I discussed in one of the earlier episodes different agents for symptom management, natural agents, and then I also spoke about conventional treatment options too. And so cholestyramine isn't typically used for hyperthyroidism, but there are some studies that show that it can help lower thyroid hormone levels. And I have had a a few patients, I can't say I've had a lot of patients take cholestyramine, but I've had a few take it. It does require prescription. So those patients got the prescription from usually their endocrinologist. Some endocrinologists won't be open to it, but if you present the research to the endocrinologist many times, well, I won't say many times because, because again, I, it's not like I've had dozens or hundreds of patients take cholestyramine, but the small number of people who have gotten cholestyramine, it's been through the endocrinologist. So it's worth at least trying if nothing else works. And once again, I, of course, I'm going to be biased when I tell you that you should work with the natural healthcare practitioner to try to address the underlying cause of the problem. And because in many cases, you could address the cause of the problem and surgery won't be necessary. Now, if you do choose to get thyroid surgery, I want you to be comfortable with your decision. And I don't want you to get it just because you're giving into peer pressure. It could be your friends, your family members, or both are pressuring you to get surgery. Of course, the endocrinologist commonly will recommend, or not not just recommend, but many times will try to pressure their patients to get thyroid surgery. So I want you to be comfortable with your decision and and make make sure it's your decision if you do get thyroid surgery. And you also want to choose your surgeon carefully. You want to try to choose a surgeon who performs at least 30 thyroidectomies per year and 50 or more would be even better. This is from the research I've done. If I didn't do the research, I would have thought, hey, you know, I want someone who does hundreds per year. But if you choose someone, let's say that does like 50 per year and they've been in practice for 10 years, well, that's that's 500. Obviously, if you could choose someone who's done a few thousand, that's even better. But you don't want to choose someone who only does five per year and maybe has only done a dozen thyroid surgeries for the entirety of their practice. So one study showed that there was an 87% risk of complications for surgeons who did one operation a year, 68% for two to five, 42% for six to 10, 22% for 11 to 15, and 10% for 16 to 20. And only 3% of patients of surgeons who did 21 to 25 operations a year had complications. Those who did more had similar rate of complications. So again, here it's saying... 21 to 25 operations, only 3%. So, but of course, if you get someone who does 50 or more, even though it says those who did more had similar rate of complications, to me, the more the better. Now I'd like to give a brief summary of this episode. So once again, there is a time and place for thyroid surgery. The goal of this presentation was to educate you and not necessarily to talk people out of getting thyroid surgery, but just to give them different options and to go over the different risks. So one reason, one risk is that it doesn't adjust the cost of the problem. Second reason why you don't want to, why you want to consider maybe not getting thyroid surgery is because it will result in permanent hypothyroidism if you get a complete thyroidectomy. 
Risk number three, it can cause hypoparathyroidism. And then risk number four, it can cause a recurrent nerve injury. And then I mentioned other complications are possible as well. Again, consider some of the other options. Maybe you're in a situation where the other options aren't a good fit for you, but there are many people where the other options are something to consider. And so if you absolutely need to get thyroid surgery, definitely choose your surgeon carefully. So this wraps up my presentation on why you should avoid thyroid surgery. Once again, I understand that sometimes thyroid surgery is necessary, but the goal of this presentation was to let people know about the potential risks associated with thyroid surgery, give a few alternative options, and hopefully provide some useful information so that if someone listening to this needs surgery, they can at least be comfortable with their decision. Anyway, I hope you found this episode to be super valuable, and I look forward to catching you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Save My Thyroid podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe to stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics. And to get your free thyroid and immune health restoration action points checklist, visit SaveMyThyroidChecklist.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. One option I didn't mention during this episode that might help some people with larger thyroid nodules avoid surgery is radiofrequency ablation, which involves thermally ablating the thyroid nodule. I hope to have a future guest expert on the podcast who performs radiofrequency ablation, and there are also a few other procedures that can help with larger thyroid nodules, including ethanol injection and laser ablation. These don't do anything to address the underlying cause of the problem, and so there is a chance that the thyroid nodule can grow back, but in my opinion, it's worth doing these if it means saving one's thyroid gland. And if you have larger thyroid nodules and choose one of these procedures, I of course would still recommend trying to address the cause of the problem, and I do have other episodes that focus on thyroid nodules where I discuss this. I want to let you know about a product called Hepatomune Supreme, which is a unique supplement that has a rare combination of N-acetylcysteine, also known as NAC, milk thistle, and schisandra to support the liver, and it also has a few mushrooms that can help support the immune system, including cordyceps, which has both immune-modulating and adaptogenic properties, and is great for those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's. To learn more about Hepatomune Supreme, visit SaveMyThyroid.com forward slash liver support.